Welcome to The Citizens Midweek. It's a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. My name is Jacob, and I'm joined again by our pastor and friend, Tim Olson. Here we go. It's the last week of September, and we are in week five. It's the last week of September. It is. Wow. That's all we'll talk about for the next 20 minutes. Man, wake me up when September ends. <laughs> wake me up when September ends. Uh, it ends on Thursday. Wednesday? Wow. Friday's, Thursday. Friday's October 1st? Yes. Wow. That's true. Wow. So I'll wake you up on Friday, Tim. It's the last week of September, and we're in week seven of our sermon series, Working Through the Fruit of the Spirit. This week, we talked about the fruit of goodness, specifically goodness in a time of brokenness. So looked at John chapter five, verses one through 17. It's the story of the um, of the man at the pools of Bethsaida, or Bethesda, maybe, as some people's translations might have said. Um, but just looking at what it means for Christians that you know follow Jesus to walk in a spirit of goodness, for what it means for the for the spirit of God to produce goodness in us. So we talked about how um, goodness in the Bible is defined as something. You know, something is considered good when it fulfills its intended purpose. So when something fulfills its telos, which is the Bible word for fulfillment, you know, ending, when something fulfills its intended purpose, well, then God would describe that as good. So we talked about, you know, just the fact that God does have a metric for good and God does have a metric for intended purposes. And he does get to kind of have those metrics because he is the creator of all things. So as the creator, he gets to define what is good and what what purposes things have and things like that. But because of our sin nature, because of Genesis 3, that, you know, humanity has, has really altered our, our intended purposes. We've really kind of taken capture what it means for us to fulfill what God's called us to do in a sinful way. Um, so as people following Jesus, it's we're being people that are being brought back into the goodness of doing what God has called us to do, what God has made us for. So um, coming out of John 5, we see a few specific kind of principles. I'm a, around goodness and we said specifically four things um the first one is that goodness is intentional um the second is that goodness is confrontational goodness is confrontational um the third one that goodness is directional and fourth that goodness is both spiritual and physical so all those things just to say that goodness um has specific um focus it's goodness moves towards specific areas and um goodness meets physical and spiritual needs and all those things. And, um, yeah, I think for me, the part that kind of stood out the most was, you know, particularly God's heart for us to be, um, intentional with the way that we pursue the, you know, being good. Um, and I think, you know, that word good is outside of a biblical context can kind of be this, like, I don't know, this shame kind of language of like, be good or else. And it's like a really frightening thing to think about, am I being good or not? (laughs) But, you know, in this context, you know, taking it out of just like a morality clause, putting, you know, the idea of goodness in a fruit of the spirit context and seeing that God's intention for us, you know, to be good is to intentionally move towards, you know, the people that he's given us in our life. And I think you actually talked about that a lot with like kind of our culture's plight with trying to, to make good and everything everywhere in the whole world. But, but, you know, God's put us in specific contexts and specific locations to pursue goodness and fullness and flourishing so not that we can't care about what's happening you know a world away across the country across the the world literally but you know if we're caring about what's happening in another country before we're caring about our neighbors we might have missed the mark a little bit if you ignore the needs of your neighbor if you ignore the you know the opportunity to be good to your neighbor before you know 
you try and think about or get really worked up over the lack of goodness in a different city or a different state, well, then you might have missed, you know, kind of God's sovereign will in putting you where you are to be his representative of goodness and flourishing wholeness as a follower of Jesus. So I just thought that was helpful to bring it home. I think, you know, we can all get really overwhelmed with how many things that are not good that we see in the world all the time. And the digital media, social media age has really exacerbated that because we can see everything all the time. Like the world's not goodness is in our purview. (laughs) So just to be reminded that like, yeah, because I follow Jesus and because I trust Jesus, I can actually just look right in front of me to see what God intends for me to care about right now. And that doesn't mean we don't care about those things ever, but pursuing goodness means like pursuing the goodness of my neighbor, of my community, of my friends and coworkers and stuff. And just to kind of put our feet on the ground a little bit when everything seems really chaotic, you know? Um, But what about you, Tim? What kind of stood out while you were preparing for this week's sermon? Yeah, I think uh, this idea of goodness confusion uh, that we talked about in the intro. So I I really set out, uh, you know, we knew kind of the direction we were going to take everything going into even week one. And so I knew goodness in a time of brokenness for a while. And really when I sat down to, to start writing about brokenness and researching and thinking about brokenness, I was very set on like, all right, the world is broken. We all know it's broken. God invites us to enter into the brokenness with him and restore things back to flourishing. And I just came like, just realized even in thinking about this and reading and researching like how much confusion there is in our world right now around uh, this moral ambiguity, around this goodness confusion. Just all of these both Christian and non-Christian philosophers talking about this, you know, post-virtue society that we live in, that we've moved past this kind of coherent moral code that we all affirm. And so even, I mean, we, we gave some of these examples on Sunday, but even thinking about like, all right, we can't just say as Christians, marriage is broken right? 50% of marriages in America end in divorce. And that's a conservative estimate. Uh, numbers only go up when you think about other, like, it just is not good, uh, both in the church and outside the church. And okay, so it's easy. Okay, that's broken. And then as Christians, the trite answer is to say like, all right, so we need to step in with God and fix marriages and not realize that our culture has differing ideas on how to fix marriage, different ideas on what is good, is good uh, and restoration of the good, getting rid of what, you know, our society would call this uh, antiquated idea of marriage and this thing that's imposed upon us by society, or is the answer to strengthen marriages? And we know biblically the answer is to strengthen marriages because marriage is a gift given by God, but just how much goodness confusion there is around that, around parenting, around education, around, uh, I mean, this is so much of the, the racial injustice tension right now, right? How do we step into injustices in our society? Is it because of this? Do we do this? Do we do that? Like there's not just, it's trite and simple and easy because we want those answers to say things like, oh, we just need to all come together. We just need to love each other. We just need to do this and do that. But we can't agree on even the path forward. So it's not as simple as saying, well, you just don't care about racial injustice. It's like, no, we just don't agree on the path forward in order to step into this issue. Um, For some of us, we don't even agree it's an issue. And so there's just so much um, confusion around goodness. And so stopping and going, okay, what? who is the author of good? Who is the creator and designer of flourishing? Uh, and going back to like, no, God originally designed things just right, perfect, at, very good, as it's described in Genesis 131. And that has to be the starting place before we even talk about what is good. Because there, we're coming to a place now where, I mean, Christians... Uh, for the last probably 50, 60 years in America, were largely considered forces of good, at least in America, not always in history. Um, but over the last 10 or 15 years, our idea of good has now come face to face 
in opposition to culture's idea of good in a lot of ways. Um, and so both we have to come back to a firm establishment of what is good declared by God, even if that good means it's not received as good from society, right? Even if society says, no, you pushing for this and, and moving forward in this way is not actually good. And us as Christians going, we don't get our definition of good from what the person wants. We get it from what God says is flourishing. And that's true for all of life. And being able to go back to that to then move forward in goodness towards true flourishing, not just human ideals. Yeah. And I think it's really you know, important, especially in the world that we live in, to have a really strong understanding of what God does consider good. <laughs> um because even with like, I mean, some of the social issues we you kind of just gave reference to of like, I don't, for most people, maybe just most people in our demographic, we would mostly agree on the problem, or at least the a version of the problem, maybe the specifics people have disagreements on, but you know, the, the issue is not typically, is there a problem? The difference is what's a good solution to move forward? <laughs> um, and even just thinking about other, you know, things where maybe some of the confusion that a Christian has is that they've... Um, you know, decided that what the world considers good is good. And now there's this tension of, well, you know, historic biblical Christianity would disagree with what me and everybody in my social circle considers good. How do we move forward? So starting with, you know, I mean, starting really Genesis 1, God made it. God made it and he decides what it's for and what, what's good for it. And I think that's where, I mean, I grew up going to in church, Christian school, all that kind of stuff. And this terminology gets a really bad rap nowadays, but the idea of a Christian worldview, like it's kind of become co-opt of like, that's the lame, this is not an offense to homeschoolers. I was homeschooled for a little while. Uh, it's kind of like the lame homeschool phrase of like, right. oh, Christian worldview studies. And a lot of it was not good growing sure. up. It was like uh, about how to, you know, interpret. Burn your CDs. Yeah, like secular ideologies right. that are coming to you via Blink-182 right. and Britney Spears and stuff. And it's not helpful a lot of times. Um, but what is what we have lost is the ability to think Christianly about ethics and about a worldview, right? And so we're still I mean, we're still having discussions and debates about like does the end justify the means when it comes to politics? And it's like, well, no, Christians for centuries have said the ends don't justify the means, right? Like, and that's clear throughout biblical testimony, that's clear throughout biblical teachings, the Proverbs, all of that. And so even getting down to like these base ethical discussions, we have to go back to having a robust biblical worldview that has more to teach us than just uh, you know, the Christian 1990s ideals of like, don't drink, don't cuss, don't smoke, right? Like we have to have more robust ethical frameworks by which we deal with what is the good of society? What does it mean to love my neighbor? What is it? Who is my neighbor? Is that question that Jesus gets asked uh, in John. What, what does it mean for me to care for the poor and the impoverished and the outcast? And I mean, even thinking about this with, uh, we mentioned it briefly, but even thinking about this with some of the border issues right now, like we can't just have trite responses. Like we have to go, okay, we have to think biblically, what is the the Bible not only say about the immigrant and the foreigner, but what does the Bible say the government's role in helping and serving the immigrant and the foreigner is? And we, we simplify it and we uh, we throw out trite things like, well, Jesus says love our neighbors. Jesus says welcome in our enemies. And it's like, it's not that simple. Let's build a robust ethical framework and convictions from the scriptures that help us identify what is good and how do we get there and how do we agree on that as Christians. I guess part of the part of the complicated part though Tim is that a lot of normal everyday believers don't necessarily perceive that they have kind of the mental bandwidth to develop a robust ethical framework. So like what do you I mean some of like the triteness that we see in the world around us is because the trite kind of quippy sayings are the easiest way to filter your view on it, right? So if I can be given a one-liner that sounds cute and it's kind of biblical and fits on a coffee mug, well, that's good enough to, to kind of satisfy the the understanding that I need a worldview. But what do we do for the normal person in our church that's 
I mean, they just they have a demanding job and multiple children and a spouse they're trying to keep romance alive with. Like, they don't have the time to develop a, a robust biblical framework on every social issue, Tim. So, like, what what do you say to that? I guess. I mean, that that is the the dilemma of a pastor, right? Like, how do you equip your people to think about this? I think um, slowness of opinions is a huge thing. Um, I think one of the things that that I go back to a lot as a as a microcosm example of this is you know Tim Keller, who's famous pastor, pastor, author, New yeah, York never City. Never heard of him. Yeah, never heard of him. Uh, has written fifteen books. Didn't write his first book until he was fifty. Oh, really? And he said it was intentional. I didn't know that. Yeah, he got asked by publishing companies. You know, he'd, he'd wow. been planting and pastoring a, a successful church in New York City, uh, and people have been asking me, "said I don't I don't trust what I have to say yet." Because I don't trust what I have to say to put it in print. And I think uh, taking that microcosm example and applying it to all of life, hey, before I respond quickly to social media, before I respond quickly to what everybody else says I need to have a quick opinion on, I'm going to take some time to, to think. I'm going to take some time to research. I'm going to take some time to pray. I'm going to take some time to have conversations and to address it. And then I think, man, just returning to the the art of reading, <laughs> you know, like I think what's the stat? Like, 10% of Americans read a book in 2020, something like that, like something crazy. And I think just getting back to like, man, we, and I'm, I'm pro Netflix. I'm, I'm for Hulu and Amazon. Like I, I watch those things, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, this is not like burn your TV, but man, just getting back to reading and reading, uh, helpful things like reading good. Uh, I mean, read some intro to Christian ethics books, you know, like, well, uh, ask me, I'll send you some resources, read church history, see how Christians for centuries have responded to issues. Um, we were talking about this. I was on a conversation at lunch today with somebody It's post lunch in case everybody's wondering. I was on a conversation with, at lunch today about how, I mean, why does it feel like we keep having the same theological arguments today that the church settled in creeds thousands and thousands of years ago, 20 years after Jesus, because we don't read, we don't read the history. We don't read these debates. We don't read Athanasius and we don't read origin. We don't read the debates they're having on the deity of Jesus, you know? Uh, and so I think just being able to be like, all right, I'm going to read some stuff that maybe doesn't feel immediately applicable because I'm willing to build out a larger foundation. Uh, I think some of the easiest stuff is just to, to read a good systematic theology. Uh, it's going to take some time, take a year, read Grudem's, read systematic, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, read John Frame systematic theology, and just start building out. Um, I'm going to put down good, helpful, 150 page popular Christian literature, which is good. And I read it, but I'm going to put down the immediately applicable thing that's going to help me right now. And I'm going to pick up something that's going to help me grow my ability to think critically, which we've just lost. I've, I, I don't want to think critically often. Uh, so it's not me being like, everyone should be like, I, I often want to just give the quick answer and the quick solution, but being willing to go, I'm going to ask questions, learn, take a learning posture before I speak. And that's part of, we talked about this too. Feel free to cut this if this is a rant. Uh, we talked about this too with social media. Social media gives everyone a platform. And the necessity of a platform is that I have to have an opinion put on my platform. And for many of us, man, the first step is just to go, can I just learn first? Can I just be a student here? Can I not immediately repost what everyone else is reposting? Uh, can I not just immediately give the take that everyone else is giving? Can I actually stop and ask some questions and to think and to, to push a little bit deeper into some of these issues? So what are we going to dive deep on this week, Tim? Yeah, uh, real quick, I just want to talk about this concept of brokenness and restoration of the natural order. So we, when we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we read about these incredible miracles of Jesus, we often think, and I often think, that that is the supernatural entering into our natural world. And I was introduced to this idea a few years ago um, 
by my pastor at the time who talked about um, this idea that actually what Jesus is doing in his miracles, when he's healing, when he's restoring sight, when he's raising up from the dead, what he's actually doing is not the supernatural in a natural world. He's actually restoring things back to their most natural state. Uh, and this is an idea that uh, originated with a guy named Jürgen Moltmann. He was a, a German uh, philosopher and theologian in the early 1900s. And then it got kind of popular by Tim Keller uh, in his book, Reason for God. And this is what uh, Tim Keller says, I think it's really helpful. He says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. And I think about how you know this idea of goodness is stepping into brokenness, and by nature it's broken. It's not functioning correctly, and we join God in fixing it. We join God in redemption. And so even John 5, the pool of Bethesda, right? The pool of Bethesda is not a scene of natural. It's a scene of of wrong, of brokenness, of sadness, of suffering. And Jesus enters into this man's story, and he restores the most natural. He restores him back to health. He restores as this picture of what is to come, God's original design. And so I think there's a reason why when we step in to the fruit of goodness and we help you know, we join God in the work of redeeming and restoring what is broken. There's this sense we can we can almost feel it inside of us as our spirit agrees with the spirit of God that it's right. Right? There's a sense in which like this is just right. Like when you have that feeling, you know, you often get it like when you go serve on Saturday morning somewhere or you help somebody in need or you give or you're generous. Like you have this innate sense of which like this is just how it's supposed to be. And it's because that is true. Like this is how it's supposed to be. And Jesus in the miracles of, of the gospels gives us glimpses of that. He gives us foretastes. Uh, one theologian talks about how Jesus, um, he comes preaching and healing. Like the, his, his main two things are that he, he does miraculous works, mostly of healing, and he does preaching. And he basically summarizes it and says, Jesus acts the kingdom and preaches the kingdom. Yeah right? He acts the kingdom into fruition. He says, this is what my kingdom is going to be like, healing, restoration, redemption, and then he preaches the good news of the kingdom and how our invitation is to, to do both as well, right? That physical and spiritual peace. And so I think just reading the gospels and not going, wow, that's crazy. Like Jesus is healing people. It is crazy, but also it's natural. Like it, it is him restoring the world to how it's supposed to be. And we get these little glimpses of this is God's design. This is God's purpose. Not that you're blind, but that you can see both physically and spiritually. Right. And I think it's even interesting to like, we said earlier, we don't always agree on what the goodness is, but everybody's pretty aware on what the badness is, right? Like society, the culture, the church has such, it's a pretty innate understanding of like, this isn't the way it's meant to be, right? <laughs> Um, and that, you know, it's us longing for the recreate, the re, not the recreation. It's us longing for the restoration of what God's doing to bring goodness back, um, which I also think is a really beautiful reminder of like God does not recreate; He restores. He brings it back to what it's meant to be. It's not this, you know, wiping out and restarting. It's a let me bring you back into what you were intended to be. There was a um, so I studied sociology in college uh, for a while, and there was a sociologist who um, spent a, a lot of his life in just different third world countries, and he got asked a ton. I think his main kind of area of research is what's the difference between deve the developed world and the underdeveloped world? What are the similarities of people, and how does living in these different environments affect them? And one of the, the lines that he said, which is just a, a bomb line, is he says, uh, you realize 
no matter where you are in the world, you don't have to teach people to mourn and you don't have to teach them to celebrate. And that's kind of his, his, his big summary of it is like, you don't have to teach people to mourn what is broken. You don't have to teach people to mourn death. You don't have to teach them to mourn sickness. They just know that's inherent within us to go, this is off. And Romans 1 says, because of our sin, what we do is we, squ- we squash that, right? We all know there's something within us that goes, this is broken. And because of our sin nature, apart from God, we squash it and we ignore it and we push it down. And yet in the goodness of God, he pushes it back up within us as he gives us a new heart to be broken over what we already knew pre-Christ was broken. We just didn't want to pay attention to. Any final thoughts today, Tim, before we wrap up for the day? Yeah, just just going back to, um, I mean, we're, we're talking about this uh, a lot this coming Sunday with faithfulness. Uh, just the call in scripture that that Paul actually gives us one chapter after Galatians 5, Galatians 6, where he says, uh, he talks about, do not grow weary in doing good. And so I just want to encourage our church, um, don't grow weary in doing good. It is hard to stay in the fight. It's hard to continue to press into the fruit of goodness. Um, it is hard this side of heaven when we know, you know, Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you. Like that, that's not the most encouraging, like, go get them, step into brokenness, bring healing and restoration to hear your Savior saying, you're always going to have these issues this side of heaven. But there's still a call and a burden on our lives to not grow weary in doing good, to continue to step into the brokenness, joining God in his work of redeeming, his work of redemption, because as we do that, we do what Jesus did, which is we act and we teach in the kingdom of God. Thanks. That's all the time we have for today. We'll catch you next time.